Since finishing this podcast, Ice Cube has tweeted some fairly offensive things, and we don't condone everything Ice Cube tweets. Thank you for tuning in. everyone this is uh the first episode of of SDL's latest podcast the hip-hop dialectic where we dissect and discuss songs and hip-hop and rap and how their language speaks to the language of our philosophy the tones of ethnocide and eftopia but clearly these songs didn't have this language when they're created so it's fun to examine these songs profound discourse that they were put that they're putting out there and and bringing them back into the discussion today and so as always my co-host with this is is my my good friend scott who is an expert in hip-hop even though he feels uncomfortable about that because his profession is quite serious scott can you can you tell us a bit more about yourself Sure. Well, by day, I'm an attorney. So I think that's what you meant by more serious. Uh, but yeah, I do. I do environmental, civil rights law, human rights, international stuff. But yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a hip hop expert. All right, I'm, I'll own it. Yeah, you are an expert. Like I'm a philosopher. I, I didn't go to school for philosophy. I went to school for political science, then journalism. And I've just spent a lot of time doing philosophy. And it got to the point where it would just be absurd for me not to consider myself one based on the work that I've put in on that. And I'd say that that's, that's fair for you too. Fair so, enough. so, I as these, that. so as Scott and I were, were, were thinking about rap, we, well, first we were just talking about the, the philosophical and legal components of our professions and how ethnocide and eftopia and these profound words could get adapted into these structures that we use for our, our main day jobs. And then organically, we started talking about how they applied to hip hop because being from Atlanta, I grew up listening to hip hop all the time. Scott, as a kid, has been a hip hop junkie for, for ages since he was a kid. And now... We are discussing these songs and how they relate to, uh, to the discourse that SCL is, uh, is cultivating. And so our first song, Scott picked. So I want Scott to just give a, like a cool, a, a fun introduction on what this song is about, and then we'll start dissecting it. Yeah, well, you know, you, you'd asked me if there were any songs that sort of came off the top of my head as like relevant to SEL or, you know, the current moment and all that sort of stuff. And, and I've actually, you know, I've got a podcast, I mean, a, pod, a list like going for you, but the song that really popped in my head immediately was this song that we're going to talk about. And the song is Ice Cubes, When Will They Shoot off of the Predator album in 1992. God damn, another fucking payback with a twist. The motherfucking shot with the fuck's you know, there's a lot of songs in the hip hop lexicon that have covered police brutality and the challenges that black folks face on a daily basis. So that is as, as integral to the history of hip hop as anything. But this song was from 1992 and was born out of what was at the time like public enemy number one or one of them considered right up there. And the parallels struck me how similar what he is speaking, speaking about in these albums and how the 
current state of affairs is. And it's, it's, it's really stunning. And so Scott and I were, were talking about this stuff and we originally, he really brought up this song in response to uh, the, 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 the killing of Ahmaud Arbery. And tragically, the relevance of this song has grown following George Floyd and, and all of the, 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 the changes that have been occurring in the U.S. in the last month or so where, where more people have become aware of the systemic violence that's, been, that's always fallen upon African-Americans. And so like this song was, was, was timely back when it first came out. It was timely a month ago when Ahmaud Arbery, and it gets more and more timely. And so, you know, we were, were just quite excited to talk about this song and how what Ice Cube's saying actually speaks into philosophical concepts and ideas that can be applied to legal frameworks so long as you use the, 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 the language. And so let's, let's, let's jump in to some, some lyrics on the, on the song and uh, let's let's see what we think. So, Scott, what, what what lyrics do you want to jump at? Do you want to go, do first? Let's check. Well, I mean, we gotta we gotta go to the obvious one, which is that you know, given that your your sort of core word is ethnocide, right? And this concept that when genocide the the word was formed, um, so was ethnocide. And there's absurd that we haven't developed that that word and language around that word, institutions around that word. And, you know, that was the nature of our first discussion. So when I was thinking about what song would be relevant and I thought about this song and I'm just, just I think in stalking, walking in my big black boots. And that's the, that's the chorus of the song, stalking, walking in my big black boots. Walking, walking in my big black boots. And it just hit me that this is the song. And then I went and looked at the, went on to Genius and looked at the lyrics. And sure enough, there it is in verse two. It's a great day for genocide. And I got, I got chills because I realized like that was the song that we needed to talk about, not just because he used the word, but that this song is about the ongoing ethnocide of the black communities um, that they didn't have the word for. He got so close, he was knocking at the door of the perfect word for what he's trying to describe here and throughout the whole album. So we had, we, had to, we had to start with this song and to, to say it's a great day for genocide as, as, a, as a line from Ice Cube in 1992, you know, echoing the concept that the LAPD was out to just kill black folks with impunity. Right. right? So there's, there's four lines in verse two that are essential to, to dissect. And so like Scott said, line one, it's a great day for genocide. What's that? And then it says, that's the day all the niggas died. And then they killed JFK in 63. So what the fuck you think they'll do to me? It's a great day for genocide. What's that? That's the day all the niggas died. They killed JFK in 63. So what the fuck you think they'll do to me? Now, this is just a profound statement. The severity of this should not be lost on anyone. Like we're talking about death befalling people in America from the highest echelon of society, the president of the United States, all the way to a, a, you know, an African-American male in Los Angeles, feeling that the threat that's befalling everyone is the same. Now, one thing that's key for our work and the discussion that Scott and I are having, that's kind of a continuation of this discussion that Ice Cube started in this, you know, that started but continued in this song, is that 
the, one of the key distinctions between genocide and ethnocide is what the end goal is. And so the end goal for genocide is the extermination or removal of a whole people. That's, that's it. Ethnocide does not have that same end goal. Ethnocide's end goal is to have a perpetually divided state where a, a mass of people is being exploited in perpetuity. But despite the fact that the end goals may be different, the tactics will have many similarities. Like death befalling the African-American community won't be because they're trying to exterminate black people, but because they're trying to terrorize black people and keep us oppressed and, and subjugated forever. And that's a, that's a substantial difference. And, and, and death can befall white Americans at the highest level of society if they work in, on behalf of African-Americans. And so this is, this is a goal of ethnocide that needs to, we all need to be aware of it. And a lot of these songs like Ice Cubes and many of other rappers are speaking about the nuances of this without that word. And, you know, this word was only made in 1944 and it's really only being brought back into the discourse in 2020. So, you, you know, it's not of no fault of their own where they're not using ethnocide. Like it, it wasn't a word that was part of society. Yeah. No, no doubt. Um, and, uh, and that's what's illustrative about it now is that that word is, it would have been useful and is still useful. Um, think about the fact that what he's drawing, he's drawing this, this conclusion that, that JFK was planning a major policy move to support African-Americans in America. And many thought that part of the reason why he was assassinated was because he was for that. And now we'll never know, and we're not going to get into conspiracy theories about that, but there is a predominant belief, among, especially amongst an African-American community, that that was part of why he was assassinated. And Ice Cube here is saying, yo, they shot that beautiful white president guy that everybody thought was like the next king of America. Why, why is he relating himself to, to JFK here? Because he too, Ice Cube, is speaking out at, and has a huge audience, like JFK did. Like he's right. gone past the point of just being another black guy in the neighborhood. He is Ice Cube and he's famous now. He's has, he's four albums in, you know, he's big. So he's worried. He actually, as, as that sort of advocate level, that voice and that famous person now, he's, he's voicing, are these people going to actually murder me? Are they going to turn on me? Right. Which is an ongoing discussion throughout this album. And, and I, I mentioned to you before, but the thesis of this album being called The Predator is really, who really is the predator? Is it, is it these black gangsters with a gun that you're sure are these terrible monsters? Or is it the system of police brutality and lack of opportunity and horrific infrastructure and environmental racism that has held these people down for 400 years? You know, could, could it possibly be those things, right? Like, right. No, totally. Like the language of ethnocide, it becomes clear that American society has structured itself to prey on African Americans and, and other communities of color. And so if, if, a, if a group of people are being designated as the prey, then we're pretty sure we know who the predator actually is. And, and, and that's, that's significant. And when we talk about, when we mention the, the JFK component of this lyric, 
it made me think about John Brown and Harper's Ferry, where the first American executed for treason was John Brown, a white man who tried to support a slave rebellion. So like, you know, it wasn't a member of the Ku Klux of the of the Confederacy. Like right. the, they weren't executed for treason, but a white man who tried to give freedom to African Americans, he was. And so there's yep. a track record of of how this works and how yep. with an ethnocide, terror is not used to exterminate an entire group of people. It's used and to perpetuate subjugation. Sorry about that. Who's who's going to protect Ice Cube? That's what he's saying. He's like, I'm now a black man speaking out. They killed JFK. He had secret service. He had every protection on the planet. And now I may carry a gun because I'm Ice Cube. And of course, I tell you I carry a gun. And I'm sure I got security guards. But like, they could take me out. They could take that guy out. Right? Right. Like, he's actually, he's worried. And he voices this concern throughout the album in little ways without, you know, he's not, but he's vulnerable. He knows, like, now that he is, has risen to a level where he's a voice. He is a black voice in America, right? Right, a known one. Mm-hmm. He's now a target in a different way. Ice Cube's this depiction of his life as a target is modified through through his his, his history. Early on, in those albums, he's a target because of why the average black man is a target, right? Because they look black, and the white supremacy targets them wherever they go, at right. writ large. Now he's a famous black man with money and cachet and an audience and white America thinks he's a bad guy. Yep. I mean, the last, the last song on the album is about how he's the bad guy, you know? So this is his life. And um, at this moment in 1992, but I think the background of it that's so critical is the 1992 race riot, the riots in, in, in LA that sparked from the Rodney King beating and the, which was just such horrific. And also the first on video, the first moment where we see unequivocal video evidence of overwhelming force on a black man who is completely already given up, surrendered, and they're continue to beat him for no reason on tape, right? That's Rodney King. That's what we just witnessed with George Floyd, the same exact thing overwhelming force by way too many cops on a vulnerable man who's not fighting back that kills him. Now, Rodney King didn't die. God bless it. But, you know, George Floyd did. And those are not unusual incidents. To be able to draw that parallel between 1992 and today and say these things are still happening, the exact same stuff Ice Cube was worried about back then in 92, almost 30 years ago, just as relevant, just as, as, as real today. And a key thing to talk about, like the the evolution of of Ice Cube, like nowadays we talked about this, where a lot of his songs are him expressing what it's like living under ethnocidal oppression. And when he finally got the success to do what he wanted to do, he made one of the best comedies in the history of America. And so I think a lot about Ice Cube about he seems to be just like a genuinely funny, nice guy that due to being smart, he's obviously going to rap about his environment and his environment is going to be ethnocide. And when he gets the power to just be himself and not constantly worried about the, the terror of ethnocide, you find out he's just like this really funny, genuine dude. And so a lot of like younger Americans who 
aren't familiar as, you know, didn't grow up with NWA and, and all this stuff. No, Ice Cube as being, you know, this comedian, this nice, funny guy. And I think he's done a really good job of being that funny individual while still being Ice Cube from before, where it's not, and it's a very, that's a very like delicate balance to, to continue to sustain. But following George Floyd, you got Ice Cube articulated the message of his earlier lyrics. And there's this, I just saw this great tweet of him because he was supposed to be on Good Morning America like a week ago, uh, right after George Floyd was killed. And he, he put this tweet out. I apologize to everyone expecting to see me on Good Morning America today. But after the event in Minnesota, George Floyd, I'm in no mood to tell America good morning. You can't eat. That's just perfect. I- and I you, love Ice Cube. You know that that tweet comes from someone whose initial success was rapping about what happened to George Floyd. What, you know, yeah. the, how ethnocide can exterminate black life in, in a blink. Not all of black life. There has to be enough black life around to be exploited is the goal of ethnocide. But like enough of it where you know it could happen to you at any time. Two things about Ice Cube. His Twitter feed is on point. Follow that, man. It's, it's classic. Because I can hear him say every single one of his tweets, too. So every time it comes up, it's just like in Ice Cube's voice, which is so classic, as we all know. Very good cadence. Um, yeah, amazing cadence and delivery from Ice Cube. But the second is that I, you know, I will go on record saying Ice Cube is an artistic genius and people deeply underestimate how profound his music is and was and the level of clarity with which he was speaking to these critical issues in an era 30 years before America was anywhere near really willing to listen to him, right? I mean, this is right now is the first time in America I've seen lots of white people finally really willing to face some of this stuff, right? 30 years ago, and due to that, like the fact that people are willing to listen to it now means that there's a greater need for people to listen to old Ice Cube and to get like old Ice Cube translated for them yep. and with the, the, the modern discourse. But so, so let's, let's, let's jump to another section. Is there another, another excerpt from this song we want to yeah, well, look the, at before well, we go to maybe another one? I, you know, there's a critical line that I just, it is in an ice cube, perfect ice cube way. He just sums things up so nicely in verse three. Now the KKK has three piece suit. The KKK has got three piece suit. Could ice cube have been more any on point? No, he couldn't be. The point here about KKK and three piece suits is correct. And also if you look at the KKK historically, the KKK has always been in three-piece suits. Like they put on, you know, they don't wear the outfit all day long. They're in three-piece suits. And then when they can't be in public, they put on the, the, the hood and everything. So like the three-piece suits component is key. And one last thing, because I'm a, a Reconstruction buff. Back in Reconstruction, after the Civil War, when the KKK came into existence, the KKK teamed up with this movement of, rich plantation elite white people who were like the former slave owners who were also the politicians who basically ran all of the South. They had the money. They called themselves the Redeemers. The Redeemers, their whole political ideological mission was to redeem the South and make the South back to how it was prior to the Civil War. And so there'd be the Redeemers in the suits running elected office. And there'd be the KKK out there terrorizing African-Americans and, and Northerners who moved to the South, like, you know, carpetbaggers who were, and making it so that like democracy was just a farce in the South. 
where like non-redeemers, non-racists couldn't vote. And then due to that consistency of terror, the South ended up regaining control of the South. And so from the get-go, the three-piece suit and the KKK have always been interwoven in America, where like in many cases, you know, the Redeemer would then go and put on the KKK suit and then inflict terror. And then there are plenty of instances where the white Northerner who won public office would win the office and then the KKK would literally try to like burn their house down or kill them in there while they were sleeping and terrorize them so much that they said, we just can't take it. We have to go back to the North. They're going to kill us down here. And then the Redeemer candidate who came in second place would say, oh man, looks like there's a vacancy. Who, who's going to fill this, this empty seat? I'm guessing the guy that came in second place should do it. And all the other racists would say, that makes a lot of sense. And then he'd become the person that was in charge. And it's like, what a coincidence. How did this happen? I got, I have no, con- I got no connection to that mass, that mass gang of terrorists that have been trying to kill you for weeks and months. Huh. He just couldn't show up, I guess. He had some, huh. some turn up. Did anyone, anyone know where this guy went? <laughs> like, that's, like, it's not funny, but that is No, it's honestly, not, but it is, but it is in hindsight. It's like, it's so insane. Oh, so, God, so like, KKK has three-piece suits is like form, foundational to American life, tragically. Absolutely. And, and let's take that just one, the insidiousness that he's describing there. Take it one step further, because where do the KKK live in America mostly? And I don't mean location. I mean, where do they go? Where do they, how do they be humans? I posit that a large portion of them end up in our law enforcement agencies. It's the most obvious location for someone who wants to exert white supremacy and is okay with violence and likes that sort of energy. And they go into those, into those fields. And that, that is one of the major reasons why we see so much violence from police force on black and brown bodies because that's where they they are and they're going and they're gunning for it they're looking for it they want it they get off on it so that insidiousness that the the kkk without instead of the the white hats they're now wearing the blue uniforms and this is one of the profound questions that we're asking about american policing because you know i i will say if this we're not saying that all police officers are going in and they're, they're, they're racist or whatever. But one thing that we are acknowledging is that policing in America at a, at a foundational level in many ways was based around policing the movement of black bodies, preventing black people from having freedom of movement. Like if you just think of the South during slavery and through up until the Great Migration, the South was nearly 50% black and white. So if you have half of your population that is not allowed to exercise freedom, freedom of movement, freedom of anything, and they're all trying to find a way to do that, your police force that's going to be exclusively white is going to be based around rounding up and catching African Americans who are trying to get freedom someplace outside the South. That's what your policing is going to, going to derive from. And, and a lot of American gun laws... So this is also a good a good bit of trivia. I think it's I think it's State v. Georgia. I forget I'm, I'm forgetting the the case, but there was a case that was cited in Georgia prior to the Civil War about how open carrying guns make society safer. 
And the reason for this is that in the South, due to the, the, how many slaves there were, as a white person, you had to carry a gun because at a drop of a hat, there was going to be a chance that you're going to go, you were going to see some slave escaping and you're going to have to go get them. Like you're going to have to get them and you're going to, you're going to need a gun on you. And if all white people have guns, which is just like the, the baseline, like most white people are going to need to have guns in this environment because you have to oppress half of your population. If those white people are concealed carrying their guns, it makes it easier for white people to kill other white people because you won't know if someone has a gun. So to make that environment safer for white people, they made it that you have to open carry your gun. You have to show your gun all the time because then it makes it harder for white people to kill white people while still allowing white people to kill black people. And so... Yeah, like this that's is deep. real. Like yeah, this is real. Deep. And so, so, deep. so when you look at the foundational logic of, American, of a lot of American gun laws and the foundational logic of American policing, you can see how if you are a person who is a racist, these are things that you are like almost encouraged to find your way into. Like they were yeah. built for right. racist people to excel in. Um, that's right. And, and I will say, I will disclaim that as well. I think there are, a, there's a large population of police that are excellent people with fantastic morals and ethics and are not white supremacists. But I also think that there are a, a very significant portion that are there and are willing to enact violence on people. And we're seeing that all over the country. And, and a key thing that we're talking about for ethnocide is that this ethnocidal structure harms everybody. Like if we create governmental systems, if we create laws and, and policing policies that are based around sustaining oppression, but they're not articulated as that being their purpose, right. a lot of well-meaning people will willfully inge- like inject themselves into oppressive systems and act in an oppressive way without that being their initial desire. For those who, that it is their initial yeah. desire, they are they are swimming like they're they're loving it absolutely and when you're in a power a powerful institution whatever its inertia is is what you go or it crushes you is the way you know what i mean it, yep. and so it's very difficult for if not impossible for anybody to push against that other than to get out and resign and be like wow this institution is racist and it wants me to do racist things and so i have to step out of it because i can't stop it it's too big it's too powerful it'll crush me right Hundred percent, and you know, like this is a weird thing to say, but the language we're talking about now, this is language that didn't exist. I, I, I feel weird about this because it's almost like I'm complimenting myself, which this seems weird. But like the expectation that most Americans are organically going to come up with the word ethnocide and think about it and combat it just naturally, that's just not going to happen. It, it there's going to be a, the need for some person or a collection of people. To come up with words that succinctly can articulate the flaws of our system and then empower people to counter it and also empower the voices who've been trying to say it before. And we think ethnocide is one of those words. There's more words to come that, that also like speak to this. So to that point, Ice Cube's song here, it speaks of genocide, but he really means ethnocide. Yep. And he was so close. He was so close. And that is the opportunity because, the, to your point, white America doesn't want to kill all the black people. 
that it's not, they don't want to do what Hitler did to the Jews. That's genocide. No, right. there is, they don't, nobody wants a day where all the black people die. They just want the black people who are speaking up too much against their white privilege to shut the F up. Right. That's the, the difference. The American narrative is black people need to know their place. They need to, to accept and embrace subjugation. That's, that's the American ethnocidal perspective narrative. And that's right. Clearly the anxiety in these songs and in this album that Ice Cube expresses is that he's getting to a state where he's no longer going to be subjugated. He has the clout to not be yeah. subjugated. And he knows that acting like a regular person who can't be subjugated could mean that white America would kill him or terrorize him to use him as an example to yep. other African-Americans to not think that you can rise up out of this subjugated state. And that's, that's right. And that's how ethnocide works. And the predator in this album is in fact the white supremacist system. And that is right. what Ice Cube is positing and describing throughout the album. I think it's, I think it's worth going back to verse one just for, there's a four line section that I just think is just really on Let's point for right now. He says, doing us wrong from the first day and don't understand why a brother got an AK. Calling me an African-American like everything is fair again. Doing us wrong from the first day and don't understand why a nigga got an AK. Calling me an African-American like everything is fair again. And those lines really, I think there's, there's deep power here. First two, the first two, Doing us wrong from the first day. I mean, everybody knows the first day of slavery was the first day, and that was a bad day. Right. And it hasn't been good since that day. So it's a first day thing. So he's right, right on about that. And that but first day that, is, is the beginning of ethnocide with colonization. That's, like that's linguistically, philosophically, where we start the conversation about ethnocide. That, that sentence right there, doing us wrong from the first day, that sentence, that line is just ethnocide. That's a, that's a yep. phrase that means ethnocide. That's right. And, and then why, why would they not understand why I had an AK when right. I've seen for 400 years, nothing, but this system being willing to kill black people with impunity. Why wouldn't I defend myself when you think defending yourself is important? Why wouldn't it be important for me, especially when I've seen all the evidence, right? Mm -hmm. I've got the receipts and the dead in the dead people. And then the next two lines, this was right in the era that I know you remember, um, a lot of people might not, but the term African-American was really pretty new as an accepted thing right around this period of time. Right? Yeah, like, like the, the thing that's fascinating about language is that once a word shows up, we all imagine that that word's been there forever. Like African-American yep. is a very new term. Like it's from right. the early 80s. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I think, I'm not sure if we know precisely who came up with the phrase, but I believe it was Jesse Jackson, like that, that at least popularized it. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's new. Well, and at the time it was, it was a hot button issue, right? Because, and being in a, in a born and raised Republican family as a 12 year old, I'm hearing like, oh my God, what are they going to call us now? European Americans, right? This, this, like this feeling of like being, uh, oppressed by having to do some new language that maybe offends somebody less, you know, that energy. Yeah. But at the same, but at the same time, remembering black folks being like, don't call me African. Right. I'm not African. 
My family's not African. We're from, we're from Detroit. Yep. And in fact, in the late 80s and early 90s, right around this time, I knew black friends that would fight you if you called them African, right? It was, it was basically a slur. Be like, what are you, African? Look at you wearing like weird African stuff, you know? It's like, and this speaks to like the, so many of the complexities about being a black person in America. Like, you know, part of the work of SCL is where we work, we have the word Fricano, which we feel is like a linguistic progression from African-American. We can talk, you know, you go to the website, check it out. I can talk about that word forever. We're talking about Ice Cube right now. But part of ethnocidal oppression is that the oppressors destroy your culture. And that culture is your capacity to self-identify. With ethnocide, they're going to stamp the identifier onto you. And if you try to free yourselves from these oppressive, decultured, dehumanizing identifiers, the oppressors are going to view that as a burden. They're going to view this as like, what an outrageous thing, the nerve of these people to think that they can call themselves something. Ugh, we call them things, you know, like... That that's how within an ethnocidal how, space. How dare them have the agency to name themselves? Exactly. Like, that that is that is it to a T. And then at the same time, as a Black American or an African American or a Fricano American, the distance from your African culture due to ethnocide is so profound. And you live within a society that, that largely exists to portray Africa as this subhuman, awful place where like black people should be happy that they get to live mm-hmm. as subjugated people within a white dominated environment compared to just living in Africa as people. Like that's the, the, the narrative, which is quite absurd. And even if it's absurd, fragments of that will sink into you. And, and that yeah. narrative also impacts Africans who come to the U.S. where they think that African-American or people are in the plight that they are because they're not taking advantage of American opportunity and all sorts of stuff. This propaganda that is infused within like African-American and, and white American and African bodies creates this time where you create an identifier that's clearly a progression beyond uh, Negro and colored uh, African-American is way better than any of those, but it's still not indicative and accurate of your culture. And that causes the tension. And so like at SEL, we we fully believe that you have to continue that discussion. We think Fricano is like a, a, a better word. On that point, I think, yes. And what Ice Cube is saying is not only all of this, but that the sentiment at the time was, Okay, well, now you've got a new clean term, too. So, like, you go ahead and use that, and, we're like, we're done with racism, right? Like, it's all cleaned up. There was, yep. Like, you know, his line here is, calling me an African-American like everything is fair again. Right? Like, and this is ultimately the moment we're in. Talk versus action. You know, mm-hmm. it's all talk, talk, talk. You can make up all kinds of talk, talk, talk. But if you don't change real, tangible things, it's just talk. And, yeah. you know, we're in, the, we're in the middle of that right now. One thing I want to chime in is that I talk to white people about this a lot where we all know it takes more time to make something or put something back together than it does to break something. And when it comes to race relations in America, the narrative is always that it's, it should take less time to fix or to make something than it did 
to break it. And like, that is just outrageous. And I can see when you like, as, as a white person, if you have to look at the scope of having to fix 400 years of just crushing civilization, that can be overwhelming. But the thing that actually is more overwhelming is to continue to break, continuing to break civilization. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and I also want to just say, you know, I think that the, you know, it's not mine to say, by the way, but I think Fricano is a perfect new term for this exact situation. Because what Ice Cube's pointing out is there's all these terms. It's not, wasn't our terms. When you called us black, even that's not our term. Like you, you took away our real terms as you obviously write and speak about so eloquently, you know, you would, they would have been not even Kenyan because that's a, that's a creation later, but you know, Maasai, they would have been Maasai or, you know, real Mali existed. So we'd be Malian or something, you know? Right. Right. But you would have had original things, but those were all cut off your language, your culture, all that was cut off. They were made this thing. And then for 400 years, you basically had a cultural void there where whiteness sort of left it un, you know, and they wouldn't allow things to develop in, in that realm. But, but the reality is that Barrett, what I really appreciate about the word is that that word needed to be created. A word needs to be created, but I think it sums it up so well because of the, the sort of uh, inclusion of, of African in the word, you know, it's embedded in Fricano, but it also has the, the Latin flavor. So it has an ode to, to that aspect and that there's this sort of milieu of what blackness in America has become over 400 years. So I just want to give you kudos for, for doing something I think that's really important um, and, and naming that in a way that doesn't have to take like Ice Cube is saying somebody else's term or like putting in some package that they think, you know, anyway, I think it's beautiful. I really appreciate it. One thing that I, I think in relation to this Ice Cube song and plenty of the other songs we'll talk about is that with ethnocide and the destruction of African culture, the, as that culture gets destroyed, like there's not, there's not like a, an absence of culture within this, the African diaspora community, but what it is that there's a, a culture that is always being undermined and that's needing to be reformed all the time. There's no stability with it. Once that culture gets the point that it could uh, grow beyond being subjugated, then it'll get stamped out. That's the anxiety that Ice Cube's talking about here. At the same time, if, the, if your initial African cultures are being crushed via ethnocide, you then have to make a new culture that's not necessarily like pegged to Africa. And that culture in the America is clearly going to be based on your complexion and how you are getting treated under ethnocide and your collective desire to free yourself from ethnocidal oppression. And so like one thing that I think is really neat about Fricano is that the word free is in it. And I think it provides the opportunity for black people, Fricano people to define freedom as something that actually in the Americas originates with us, not solely. Clearly, indigenous people have been fighting for freedom too. So this this is not something to exclude indigenous people from the conversation. But with regards to like a direct relationship with European narratives, European concepts of freedom, the fight for freedom was way before the Americans the, the colonizers said that we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be taxed too heavily by the British. There is a far more profound battle for freedom 
that had been taking place throughout the continents far before that happened. And I think that's a really significant component of the word to claim the narrative of freedom. And as right now is with what George Floyd is happening, what we're doing, we can see that the black community and people, oh, and this is another thing that's neat. I think that's cool about Fricano is that it's a cultural term. And so I've talked to people who aren't African diaspora people and they're like, could I be Fricano? Like, I know I'm not African. I know I'm, I know I don't have that same story, but I believe I have the same cultural philosophy would I be able to have the same term or would I have a new term? Because philosophically and culturally, we align. And I'll say at this point, I don't have the direct answer for that. That's something that we can figure out as a community if people even like the word. But the opportunity for that conversation to exist is key. Because mm-hmm. like Scott and I, we get along on everything, but like he's never going to be black and I'm never going to be white. that's right that's true it's never gonna happen a fantastic first episode we will have a second episode where we will talk about ice cubes more uplift uplifting well-known song from a predator it was a good day and uh this was a good podcast and we'll talk to you on the next one thanks for coming bye